vertical farming is a concept that seems to me to be sort of future tech. I have this concept of large skyscrapers filled with lights and plants feeding cities uh, at some point in the future. The truth is vertical farms are here now and they need not be giant monoliths, but can serve local communities providing fresh produce that they might not otherwise have access to. The Pasquiac Cree Nation in northern Manitoba is a perfect example of that. They've built a small 2,400 square foot vertical farm that really provides access to products that they might not otherwise have access to. My name is Mike Von Masso, and this is the Food Focus Podcast. My guests in this episode are Stephanie Cook and John Terhorst of the Opasquiac Cree Nation in Northern Manitoba. We talk about their vertical farm, how, they've, how they came to develop a vertical farm, what it's doing for the community. And what it highlights to me is it's less about the farm and more about what it means in terms of food security for the community, in terms of providing access to healthy foods in the community and redefining what it means to feed a local community. We really maybe haven't thought about vertical farms as small footprint plants that provide access to nutrients to communities that otherwise might not have access to products that fresh or to some of these products at all. And we talk about how they are targeting their production specifically to the needs of the community where many of members of their community are, are diabetic or pre-diabetic and leafy greens really help provide a foundation for a healthier diet. So to me, this episode highlights the application of this concept of technology in a very real way to make a very real impact on people's lives. And it, it really does sort of highlight how food production technology can change access to foods, access to healthy foods, and to sustainable diets. I think you'll find this a really interesting episode. Before we get started, I wanted to say thank you for listening. If it's your first time, I hope you enjoy it. If you enjoy the podcast, take a moment to provide us a review anywhere you get podcasts. Your reviews help others find the podcast and help us to continue to grow our, our audience. So thank you very much. And without further ado, here is today's episode. Stephanie and John, uh, welcome and thanks for taking the time to, to have a quick chat with me. Hi. Hello. So uh, can you tell me a little bit about uh, the, the farm that you've built? Like, what exactly do you have there on, on Opasquiac First Nation? Yeah, I think it was about five or six years ago we started the, the LED plant factory initiative. Um, has uh, sort of a, an interesting origin story, um, but uh, and maybe Stephanie can get into that later, but we'll, uh, the long and short of it is uh, we were approached by a group of Koreans. They gave us kind of an opportunity to pursue the, the plant factory, told us about it and showed us some technology and, and we thought it would be a really great uh, thing for the community and for OCN. 
And so, yeah, it just sort of snowballed from there. I, I don't have a good vision of what a small scale vertical, smart vertical farm would be. What, what exactly do you have up there in Northern Manitoba? Yeah, so it's it's a it's a vertical smart farm. The the plants uh, there's about uh, room for about to grow about five thousand plants uh, a month in a space of about twenty five hundred square feet, and um, they grow under LED lights. They don't use soil. Um, they they're immersed in a nutrient solution, and uh, it takes about twenty five days to grow a head of lettuce from seed to uh, shelf. And uh, Stephanie, I think you probably can fill in more detail on that. Yeah, so basically what it is, is what we're calling it is next generation agricultural platforms uh, based on the convergence of integrated technologies, basically IT, BT, ET, and, you know, etc. <laughs> uh, vertical farms. Well, for what is a vertical farm, basically, some, like you just said, what, what is it? Um, there are lots of variations of it. For us, we used um, what they call deep culture bed methods. Um, yeah, so we basically have in the room 16 beds. Uh, one platform has four beds on it. So each bed is roughly about three feet wide by 22 and a half feet long, give or take. Um, and yeah, uh, each bed can grow roughly 336 plants. Again, like John said, we can grow times vary. Um, if it's usually for leafies, it's about 25 days. But if you want to get into the more complex fruits, vegetables, we're looking at, again, like for strawberries, probably about 60 days from seed to, to, to runners to producing and flowering. Um, yeah, so it's pretty interesting. Uh, the vertical smart farm, like I said, we've raised various types of plants in our smart farm. I don't know how other people are doing it, but from what I'm understanding, a lot of people are just centralizing on uh, main leafy greens and haven't really touched base on, you know, what, what I call exotic for up here, fruits and vegetables, things that, things that aren't available or things that we've never heard of or never seen. <laughs> so what, so what are some of those things that you're growing? Well, in the past, like right now, we're just basically growing leafy greens, um, trying to find our niche, I guess you could say where we fit, um, what we should produce and basically yeah, but um, in the past, we had grown up to, I think it was 105, but if you put them in categories, it was up to 70, 70 different categories of vegetables, ranging from lettuces to herbs to uh, different types of tomatoes, yes, we grow leeks, um, different types of onions, radishes, you know, things that, things that you can't get in the north, especially, say, in minus 40 temperatures. Um, 2016, yeah. we, we were, yeah, in, 20, in December of 2016, we had strawberries going in a room. So, uh, what we had to do was because leafy vegetables and strawberry vegetables require different elements in growing. And I'm pretty sure people who cultivate strawberries know that, <laughs> um, strawberries are very picky. So, uh, yeah, we had to, we had to learn about all this and had to understand and uh, figure out how to propagate, how to pollinate, and walking through all that. There, it was a lot of fun uh, working with the Koreans because they basically guided us through um, start to finish when we would do do items and learn about new things. Because yeah, you no, know, 
<laughs> when we first started, I thought they were crazy. I was like, you're going to make me grow seven types of vegetables and artificial light using artificial intelligence. And, you know, it's, there's no soil involved because I'm from an agricultural background. That's the first thing you think, well, you need soil. Yeah, they use, uh, what we use is a polyurethane sponge, think memory foam. Um, that's kind of like our base for planting a seed in and it grows from there to from about a week and then it gets planted into the system and then it's fed nutrients on a time cycle. Um, the computer can be programmed and oh my goodness. <laughs> yes, there's just so many aspects of it. It's, it's, there's a lot. But yeah, it's, it's amazing to work with the technology because it takes a lot of the guesswork out. So you're growing leafy greens primarily now. Is that because what what you've had the most demand for, or it's what you're best suited to grow, or do you do you rotate? The reason we started going after the leafy greens is because of the high diabetic population within our community. Uh, more than fifty percent of our community members are diabetic, are type two, or in a pre-diabetic condition. So my understanding of it was that. Leadership needed to look at the long-term effects that it's going to have on the healthcare system. So that cost of doing nothing, what is that cost going to look like as opposed to stepping in and taking those steps to start educating your community and food and health and all the other aspects that, you know, come with diabetes and understanding the condition. So the, the vertical farm and the production decisions are really part of a, a broader proactive health management strategy uh, for, for the OCN community to say, look, we, we have some of these health challenges. One of the things we need are fresh leafy greens. Mm -hmm. and, and so we're focusing that technology as part of that, as part of that broader strategy. Yeah, and that's kind of why it resides under the, the health authority at the moment. Uh, I work for the health authority. I'm the IT health data manager. Um, and uh, so, you know, until the, the plant actually uh, starts generating revenue to where it has to stand on its own as a business, we've, uh, we've put it under the health governance for, for the time being because we're, we're still doing a lot of research and finding what the best applications are for, for when we decide to scale it up to the production model. Okay, and you're producing these leafy greens. Who's consuming these leafy greens? So right now, uh, most of it is actually given away, uh, distributed to community members through different uh, different means. Stephanie, I guess you probably know better than, than I. We basically, what John said is we basically have created ourselves a Facebook page and um, we have a steady stream of followers. And basically what I've come to do is set aside days of the week where we har where they know that we're going to be harvesting and um, have it up on the webpage and let them know, you know, we have produce available. We're, op we're opening the door from this time to this time. You guys are free to come and pick up. Um, when we first initially started, there wasn't much of a, wasn't much of an interest because people were hesitant, <laughs> but as people slowly started realizing, Oh, Hey, you know, this, when we started doing more research and development um, on the nutrient aspect of the produce, people started coming around more and realizing, okay, well, maybe there is benefits to this because in the beginning there was a lot of stigma attached to it. Elders were very scared of it. Um, now we have elder, well, the current 
we have elder patients that come in and they're here on the regular basis just to come and you know check so it's, that, that's been interesting too like seeing people go from i'm scared of it it's artificial it's fake it's to being like when is the next harvest when do you guys have some kale available when can you guys try and get maybe these types of seeds and see if you can grow this or have you guys ever thought about trying maybe um traditional what would they say like traditional like tobacco and things for medicinal purposes so you know people are interested now and they're asking questions which is is nice because before a lot of people were like but it's fake you know it's it's grown. Yeah. It's grown. Yeah. And... yeah, there's been a lot of misconceptions about it because, you know, it's like, well, how can it grow without soil and all this kind of stuff? And it looks, you yeah. know, very high tech, you know, growing under the lights. Um, but uh, as Stephanie mm-hmm. and I know, it's uh, it's just agriculture and um, it's just a, an improved way of, of growing food. And, uh, you know, it, it, for our climate, given that we have you know, essentially about nine months of winter, um, where we can't have gardens, yeah. you know, this is a, a massive uh, solution to a, to a big problem. And so, yeah, so that's why right now we're kind of switching gears into production so that we can actually start selling direct to consumer um, and then uh, mm-hmm. hopefully to, to businesses and stuff as well. Um, we've had a lot of interest in, so that's where we're trying to now um, uh, really ramp up to production and get things, uh, get things going in a, in a different scale. So, so as production grows, uh, will that mean sales within OCN or beyond OCN? Within OCN. Uh, well, I mean, to start, yeah, I mean, eventually we would definitely like to, to expand out for sure. That's, that's something we've talked about. And, and so you'll be transitioning from a, from a free model to, to sort of a, a revenue generation model that will at least sort of allow you to reinvest and to fund maintenance and those sorts of things for the smart farm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And essentially all the you know profit would, would grow and go into scaling up the, uh, the venture to be able to, to expand and, mm-hmm. and, and keep food as cheap as possible and as local as possible. Right. And, and as healthy as well, possible. Well, exactly right. So if, if the objective is to, to provide healthy alternatives to, uh, members of the uh, Opasquiac Cree Nation, uh, keeping it affordable while also having an economically sustainable smart farm, uh, I, I expect is a, is, is a delicate dance. How big do you think that this can get? You, you talked about it being sort of 2,500 square feet right now. Is this double or is it 10 times as big? What is, what is the vision in the long term? Yeah, so I think uh, right, like right now, we've actually just renovated a small corner of the community hall to house the, the plant factory, <clears throat> and it's roughly about 2,500 square feet. And so the nice thing about this, the way this plant factory works is it, it really is, you know, one-to-one scalable. So, you know, if you double the square footage, you double the production, right? So um, I would like to see it probably about double the size it is now. Um, but I mean, the sky's the limit, right? We never, we never want to put limits on how big we can grow. And I think the goal too is to actually, at some point, you know, uh, sell the technology and help other communities develop their own uh, community gardens, and, and so that food can always be as close to the end user as possible. After you get north, what is it? 
north of the like the 52nd, 53rd parallel, the food, what do we call a food? It's called, it becomes a food desert, essentially. Um, like things that are available in the city, sometimes you can't find here. Like, I don't know if it's that time of the year. I don't think it's that time of the year, but example, dragon fruit. Um, they only put out so many, you know, nine, ten pieces of dragon fruit for a community of 5,000, you know, like that's, that's just an example, like a food desert. Cause if I want those dragon fruits say right now, well, I can't get them. Um, I don't think they're in season, but you know, it's still at the same time, that's just an example of one thing. Another thing was there was a international recall for romaine lettuce. And we were actually one of the only places in this region that had romaine lettuce. We had 5,000 hens. And we literally had that harvest gone within, you know, within a 24-hour period. As soon as people knew we had it, it was gone. The room was empty. And I've never seen product go that fast as soon as we realized, okay, these guys have romaine lettuce. We need, people are like rushing here to, you know, stripping over each other. I need romaine lettuce. I need, <laughs> I've got plans. I've got, you know. <laughs> yep. Wasn't that Christmas time or Thanksgiving or something? Yeah, that was Christmas time. People needed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a couple of years ago, I think, when there were food safety issues in, in California based on irrigation systems, I think. And so so you've got a safe local alternative that that provides consistent. You were, you were talking that, you know, looking at finding, at, at, at putting this technology in other communities. Have you had other communities sort of reach out and come to see what you've got and say, is this something that'll work for us as well? Yeah, lots. Yeah. And, and are, are, are they still waiting to see or, or are, are some communities starting to say, no, this is something we're going to do as well? Yeah, I think there's some communities that have tried different projects. Um, some are kind of waiting for uh, the technology um, to become more, I guess, cheaper and more available. Uh, there's we, what we like. What I like to say is that there's uh, you know lots of imitators out there, which there are. You know, there's companies in the states that are selling sort of turnkey uh, secant style, um, you know, production containers, uh, and I'm I'm sure they work okay. But we do like to think that we were. Uh, early into this, we were early adopters of this technology, and and our partnership with the Koreans has really proved out to be that you know we really are using sort of the latest and best technology. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a lot of proprietary stuff that comes you know, directly from from Korea. It's really been an amazing relationship, and I, I I can't emphasize enough how how great it's been to work with them, how educational it's been to work with them, and uh, they they've been doing this for 20 plus years uh, this is this is old news to them and so they're they're definitely 10 years ahead of everybody else uh, in terms of the technology that's being used and the, and, and, and refining the process you know so that that to me was a little bit of secret sauce that our our plant has that others may not yeah so mm-hmm. as you grow I'll go back to, to, to Stephanie's point about the variety as you grow and and Clearly, there was some priority around leafy greens uh, from a health perspective. Do you, do you think more supply of the same or does growth allow you to diversify and have a wider range of fresh produce uh, for, uh, for your community? Yeah. Yeah. To definitely grow and diversify would be a dream come true, you know, like 
to be able to provide produce that are not available here on the Canadian food table, but, uh, you know, we're growing it here in the north because we have done it already. Um, we've sent produce out for nutrient analysis to Vancouver and uh, a few of the items that we had sent out, they basically told us when it came back was, well, we have nothing to compare this to because it's not available on the Canadian food table. So example, crystalline ice plant, it's a diuretic. It's uh, good for a, lo a number of health issues. Well, we were growing it here. Um, you know, that's, that was readily available to our community members. Um, try go to your local grocery store, try find it. It's a, it's a type of succulent. So it, yeah. that again, opened my eyes to, yeah. okay, well, we have the opportunity to go after that market where we could grow these exotics and find, find something that we can pride ourselves yeah. in or, you know, a few things. Cause you know, we had how many different items growing in the room, things that I told you, like I've never heard of before. I didn't know what a mouse melon was. I didn't know what okra was. I didn't know what bitter melons were. I didn't know what that there was like ten different types of cucumbers. So being exposed to this opened my eyes to the amount of food that we're not exposed to on a regular because we live up so far up north. That's re that's really cool. Uh, and the the original mandate or the original priority here was to provide healthy food within within OCN. Do you guys see this as perhaps, you know, and if you double in, in 25 years, could Opascua Cree have a smart farm that is 50 times as big as the current one and be providing fresh produce to a variety of northern communities? Or, or is this technology really better suited for a local uh, market and, and it's much better to uh, take the same plant and put it into other northern communities as well. You know, in my opinion, there is room for both. Um, you know, I, I think it should be the goal of every community to try and get one of their own plants at some point. But I mean, that could be many, many years before that happens. And not every community might uh, be able to take that on. Uh, and, you know, if you think about the, the veggies we're getting, uh, you know, even in Winnipeg, you know, you're probably looking at almost 10 days on a truck from the time it leaves California to the time it's it's on the shelf in in, uh, in the grocery store. You know, up north, you know, add another five days or so. Um, you go to a community like Churchill, you know, you're adding even more time, and then you know, go, it, it's it's all downhill from there. So, you know, the when when you grow when you actually eat this this produce from our plant it tastes like a totally different food in that it's just so fresh. It's just, we haven't ever actually eaten spinach and things like that. That's that fresh because we just, we never get it that fresh. Um, and then when you put it in the fridge and you see it actually lasts, you know, 10, 15 days longer than anything you're used to. Like it really, it really just does. Like I, I first time I took some home and put it in the fridge, um, I, I could just hardly, hardly believe it. So, I think there's an advantage there, obviously, locally, but also, I mean, if, if we were supplying nearby northern communities, it would certainly be better than any current alternative. Um, and if they want to, at some point, get their own uh, or go on their own, that's that's even better. So, um, you know, I, I think there's there's plenty of room in this market for, for both things to occur. 
Well, that's 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 really cool. I, 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 I'm excited. Hopefully, one of these days when uh, when there's less COVID and I'm back home visiting Manitoba, I could come up and 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 uh, walk through uh, the plant. I'd be I'd be really intrigued. I'd be really intrigued to see it. I've taken about yeah. as much time as I promised I would take. Is there anything that I should have asked you or that or, or a point that you want to make about the farm before we wrap up and, and I didn't ask you about? Um, well, I guess one thing I thought of is that, well, I guess two things. So um, to, to help paint that picture of, of how this plant actually looks and, and operates. And by the way, you're welcome to come anytime. We'll give you a tour happily. Um, <clears throat> the uh, you know it, it is sort of like uh, well sealed and there's an airlock to get in and out of it so what that does is that prevents the introduction of you know, germs and, and disease and bacteria so we use absolutely no chemicals we don't spray yeah. these plants we don't use any herbicide pesticide or fungicide um, so it really is a true organic product um, the seeds that we get from Korea germinate 30 percent better than Canadian seeds but we also have the same result when we grow our own seed so when we talk about increasing production and whatever part of that has to be us, uh, our ability to grow our own seed, um, just because we do get much better germination. And then just sort of the final point is um, we also have the ability, because we control the nutrient solution, um, we can actually introduce uh, micro and macronutrients into the plant. So if, if a person, for example, is deficient in vitamin K, we could add vitamin K specifically into their vegetables. So we could actually, in theory, do a custom tailor-made vegetable for, for a customer that way. And I think that there's a lot of potential, very sort of custom uh, market, mm -hmm. if you call it that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's actually really interesting. And it, and it's, and it, whether you do it at the individual level or the community level, you could identify uh, deficiencies in a population and say, oh, we should grow plants with higher higher proportions of this. Anything you'd like to say before we wrap up, uh, Stephanie? Add? Um, no, actually, I think you just touched on the last two was the increase the specific nutrients within the plant and then the uh, intentional growing. So this is what we've come to call it, uh, the intentional growing of the produce so that nothing is wasted. So literally at the end of a harvest, you know, we have we don't have to worry about what happens in conventional grocery stores and conventional food production. Um, more than 50% of it ends up in the landfill. Here, that's not happening because it's ending up in other aspects of the community where it's, you know, whether it be the soup kitchen, whether it be restorative justice per, uh, students or uh, individuals that are coming in or uh, schooling programs that are happening, you know, again, that's creating sustainability for, you know, within the community. So I believe that's that's a good point to make. Good. Well, thank you very much. I'm I'm excited to come up uh, to OCN and and see it one of these days when I'm home in Manitoba. And uh, I appreciate you guys taking the time to have the chat with me. So uh, have a good day. Thanks. Nice to meet you. And yeah, chat chat later. That wraps up another episode of the Food Focus podcast. We very much appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you just discovered Food Focus, you can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a review. It helps others find us. 
Before we go, I want to thank my producer, Zach, for his hard work in making each episode sound good and for his original music that helps us transition. He does the hard work and we get to have all of the fun. Thanks. Have a great day. 